Hello. Revolution. How are we doing? Is this thing on? Hello? <clears throat> Hello, Revolution. There we go. I thought you guys fell asleep on me. Um, welcome to Revolution, if you guys have not been here. Uh, sorry for the music. is usually happening. Um, someone stole the cable, or took, I don't know, stole is correct. But if you, would, if you have it, please bring it back. Um, we'll have to purchase another one if, if you don't. So, um, I have a few announcements. If you are not aware, we do um, some ministry in the East End. Uh, our teaching pastor here, Dave Dowdy, um, Dustin Cooley, wherever he's at, and um, Stephen uh, Wolchek. They all live in there, and um, it's on the corner of 7th and Campbell. Um, and throughout the week, we have some ministry opportunities. Tuesday nights, we have uh, a trash pickup. Um, around 5.30 or 6, we meet there. If you guys want to come out and, and serve uh, the community and serve Jesus, come out. And, you know, the, the goal is not just to pick up trash around the East End, but to hopefully connect and make relationships and really show people um, love through Jesus. And Friday nights, we, around the same time, 5.36, we have um, cookouts in the East End. And the goal there, again, is not just to provide free food in the community to those that need it, but, you know, to build relationships and to hopefully spread the gospel. Now, if you guys have never been to any of those, um, come on out. We'd love to have you. And we really could use some more um, hands and feet uh, to serve. Um, Every week... Uh, we are having Bible study on campus. Um, me and a few other uh, guys, and David Dowdy is actually heading that up um, once a week. Um, we're meeting actually three times a week. It's kind of confusing. But this week, we are meeting once. Like once a month, we'll be meeting as a big group. And then the rest of the weeks of the month, we'll be meeting just a couple times um, to kind of spread the group out in a small group so we can learn a little better and get to know each other a little better. Um, but this week, we're just meeting once. It's Tuesday night at 8 in Massey Hall, room 211. If you guys would like to come and are on campus, please come and join us. Uh, we're going through the book of Galatians, so it should be fun. Um, also, David Dowdy will be on campus on Tuesdays. He's a good-looking dude with the beard. He'll be on campus around from like 11 to 6-ish. Uh, he's just going to be on campus to be able to talk to some people about Jesus and to just, you know, ask questions. You know, what do people think about Christianity? What do they really know? Um, just some stuff like that. So hopefully, if you see him on campus, you know, give him some, some food. He'll probably be there all day under the hot, scorching heat. Um, last week, I think the first week he was there, he got a really red head. So, uh, sacrifice. Um, one last thing. We have uh, Autumn is needing help in the um, nursery. So if you guys are good with kids, anybody willing to volunteer some time, um, she really needs some help. Um, She's doing a lot of it herself, I think. Um, So if you guys can, any week, just let her know when you're available. Um, She'd love to have you. Um, And since we're out of music, there's no music to play. But I really want you guys to just greet each other, you know, however long it takes until Dowdy is ready to start talking. Um, So stand up. Greet your neighbor, someone you don't know, and uh, get at it.
Right on. This is awesome. Shh. That really works. That really works. All I had to, shh. Like, we don't need music. We don't need to cut anything out. Shh. Like, kindergarten. It's, like, been, like, embedded in us since we were little. Whenever someone does that, you don't talk anymore. Count to three. Oh, I got, my brother-in-law's a teacher. That's, that's a good bit of information. So, what's up, Revolution? One more time. What's up, Revolution? Right on. That was cool. I didn't expect this many people to be here on a, a Labor Day weekend, which might be one of the weakest holidays that we have here in the United States. But whatever. We take a day off work. Who cares? It's on Labor Day. That's kind of ironic too, right? Like you don't work on Labor Day. Whatever. Um, all right. But this evening we are going to be talking about stuff. All right. The kind of like whatever God's given us, right? Our cars, our clothes, our homes, maybe our lack of a home, an apartment, whatever, um, the accessories we have, technology, things like that, the things God has given us and what he expects us to do with those things as, like, in response to the, how much he's gifted us. That's what we're going to be talking about this evening. Now, while I was thinking about all the things that I have and all the things that people around me have, I came across this thought. We all have stuff that we don't need, that we don't use, right? Right? Show of hands, can we all agree on that? Like, we all have a lot of crap that we don't need, right? I started thinking about some stuff, right, like iPods. Like, who still has an iPod? Not an iPhone, an iPod. Who uses their iPod? That's what I thought. See, we all have crap that we don't need or use, right? Um, clothes, right? Uh, I lost about 100 pounds a couple of years ago. I, have, I, I had, until I gave them away, a lot of clothes that I wasn't using, which as the way things have been going, I might grow back into them. Who knows what's going to go down? Um, Right, like video game consoles that we don't use. Who still has a PlayStation 1? Burn it. N64 till I die, man. Right, get rid of that junk, right? You're not playing it, though. We all know you're not playing it. All right, now here's the kicker, and this one's me. Who still has a VHS player? I don't even own any VHSs anymore, and I have a VHS player because I ain't giving it away. Who knows what's going to happen? I might find an old copy of The Waterboy somewhere. All right? Right, what I'm, like, we collect things. Right, we collect things we're hoarders. Have you guys seen that crap on TV, hoarders? Right? Uh, it's awful. Right? And I don't care what anyone says. Oh, it's a psychological problem. No, it's not. It's laziness. No one wants to sift through their junk and figure out what they want to throw out and what they want to keep. Some of you psych majors might disagree with me, but it's a joke. I don't care. Right? Like, no one wants to sift through all of their stuff, but they do. Like, you're supposed to sift through your stuff and throw stuff out because it's normal and no one feels like navigating through their house like a dungeon in Zelda. Right, and just for the record, if I ever go to any of your guys' houses and I see like stacks of newspaper and ballerina figurines on the wall or whatever, I'm coming in with a sledgehammer the second time. We're going to do the Lord's work because you have too much stuff that you need to get rid of. All right? <laughs> but personally, I have, I have a tendency to keep a lot of stuff that I don't need anymore. Right, like for me, uh, I keep like a lot of shirts. Like I was in a, a metal band. I keep a lot of metal shirts whenever I go and buy shirts at concerts or whatever. I, I have them all up on this shelf, like like 40 shirts probably that I don't wear anymore. But I keep them because I want them. I keep old drum parts. I play drums here at Rev. Um, old drum parts that I know could benefit like an up-and-coming drummer, but I, I hold on to them because I might need them. Who knows? Um, I hold on to books, Right, like books that I've read that could totally benefit one of you guys out here, but I'm afraid that I might need to reference it sometime in the future, even though it was given to me. Um, but the best thing, and some of you guys will understand this, the thing that I like to hold on the most, Dale Earnhardt memorabilia. Some of you don't understand because you're not from Sayota County, and it's fine. Sunday's not about football. It's about NASCAR. Anyone else white trash like me? 
one other person, Corey in the back. Thank you, brother. The rest of you will learn. Budweiser and NASCAR are synonymous with Soda County. Just throwing that out there. All right, but what's funny about doing all that is that I especially have a tendency to hold on to money, right? Even though I'm taking care of, um, even though I have an excess of money, right? I think it's mine. I think I need it. I think I've earned it, right? And I need to plan for the future. And what's ironic about that is I do that even though that my needs for today and tomorrow most of the time are already met. And I claim to have faith in a God that says he's going to take care of me. But I have this tendency to hoard everything that I have. And I know I'm not the only one here that does that, too, because I've talked to some of you guys. Right? We, 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 we're afraid of the future, like Ryan talked about last week. We're afraid of the future. But yet God promises to take care of everything we need, but we keep hold of everything just in case we might need it. That doesn't make any sense. It's, it's a contradiction. But J- and James tells us, we're going to see tonight, we're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. I don't think we got the blue Bibles out this evening, because someone must have dropped the ball on that, right? Uh, it's going to be up here uh, on the screen, and just for the record, if any of you guys don't have a Bible, um, let me know after the service, and we will hook you up with a Bible. It's our gift to you if you don't have one, or the one you have doesn't make much sense to you. But James says we're going to read that we shouldn't live that way, right? We shouldn't hoard our possessions, because living that way is at odds with what Jesus tells us to do. Jesus tells us, you know, if you have an excess, you're supposed to help people with what God's given you. But we're going to take a look at what James has to say. Right, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen... Hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who did not resist you. That's like pretty rough, right? And rightfully so. Um, You guys might not know this. This is like the only time in James's letter where he's actually addressing non-Christians. He's actually doing it, like his wording and stuff, he's actually doing this kind of like an Old Testament prophet, right? But he's speaking to the ungodly rich here, rich people that do not have faith in Jesus. And he's pronouncing God's judgment on people who have ignored the poor and lived in excess while there were people hurting around them. And James tells us a couple of things. He says that their wealth actually testifies against them to God and that nothing that they possess is going to save them from God's wrath because of what they've done. Their possessions are worthless. And then the last thing that I thought was one of the most interesting things that James just said is because these people, these ungodly rich, have lived in luxury and selfishness, they have essentially condemned and killed innocent people. This is rough, right? So strap in. This is going to be a lot of fun for all of us. Um, I'm being funny here, right? I'm not like that kind of like fire and brimstone, rain, hell kind of preacher, all right? Let's don't get nervous. Uh, My jokes aren't funny either. Um... So the first thing we tend to think is, you know, this text can't apply to me because I'm not rich, right? Like, I'm not Bill Gates. Like, dude's worth like $72.7 billion. Fun fact about Bill Gates, he makes $114.87 per second, so it's literally not worth his time to pick up a $100 bill on the street. You learn something, if nothing else. Bill Gates is freaking rich, all right? But we think, you know, I'm not rich like Bill Gates. 
so this text can't apply to me. But actually, in reality, God does not judge us based off of how we measure up in our society for wealth. God has this omniscient viewpoint. He sees everything. All right, so he compares us to the, the kid that has no food and no clothes in Zambia. That's a country in Africa. And then he looks at the things that we have here, and by comparison, we are rich. And that's God's worldview. So this text very much can apply to us. And even though James was addressing non-Christians here, there's still something for us to, to get a gut check about. Right? How we use our money, how we view our money. So in God's view, we are rich. But I want you guys to know, being rich is not sinful in and of itself. It's not. Right? There's plenty of godly rich people in the Bible. This is a matter of being godly or ungodly. Right? There's all kinds of godly rich people in the Bible. We have Job, right, who was super rich in the beginning of his story and ended up with like seven times as much as he had in the beginning. Right? Super rich guy, godly guy. God said himself, Job is godly. We have Joseph of Arimathea, who was a rich guy that uh, gave the tomb that Jesus was buried in. Right? Godly guy, helped Jesus out. Right? And then we have King David, the king of Israel. Super wealthy king, and he was a man after God's own heart. So being rich is not the problem. You have a lot of people try to tell you it's a sin to make a lot of money. That's not the case. It's a sin to want to keep a lot of money. All right? It's a sin to hoard a lot of money. So being rich isn't sinful in and of itself, but it becomes sinful when accumulating more becomes your primary like, motivation behind every decision that you do. When getting more is like the like paramount thing in your life, right? It's the, it's the goal. It's what drives you. When every decision becomes motivated by greed, and a little sidebar, uh, greed often masks itself as financial responsibility. I believed that lie for a long time. Uh, I need a plan for my future. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I don't know what kind of bills I'm going to have six months from now, so I need to keep as much as I can and not help anyone in the process because that's financially responsible. Not true. More often than not, and there's a difference in financial responsibility and greed. Um, that's not where I'm going with this sermon. But more often than not, we lie to ourselves and greed sneaks up on us. It's the one sin that Jesus talks about that he says, beware of. Not just don't do it, but beware of this one. Like it's going to sneak up and grab you by the throat before you even have any idea what's going on. All right, so that sidebar over. Um, it shows that greed shows that our priorities are stacked wrongly, right? Greed is primarily driven by selfishness. And what I mean by it shows that our priorities are stacked wrongly is whenever we're greedy, right, whenever everything's motivated by getting more, it shows that we're trying to build our kingdom, we're trying to do our will, we're trying to secure our future above and over God's will, furthering God's kingdom and doing what he wants us to do. It shows us that our priorities are wrong, that it's self driven, that it's me first, screw everyone, I don't really care what God has to say, it's all about me and establishing my kingdom here. And these false priorities that we have, like these, these stacked wrong priorities that we have, are, are worldly, and they're evidence of where our heart is, all right? Like Jesus says in Matthew six nineteen through 21, because I found it's always good to go back to the guy who started the world and see what he has to say about money and stuff, he says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. And key on this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So, where are you storing treasure, right? This is what decides whether or not you're sinfully rich, or if you're, I mean, if you're godly rich or ungodly rich, what are you doing with your money? 
That's really the determining factor here. A Christian, someone who's truly following Jesus, will spend their money differently than someone who isn't. Right, what are you doing? How often are you helping people? How much are you using this excess of means that God has given you to help somebody else? And I'll tell you this, this is what our old pastor used to say all the time, and this has stuck with me. If you show me a Christian's bank account and his expenditures for the month and all the receipts that he has, I'll tell you what he loves. That's a fact. What do you spend your money on? How much are you helping people? How much are you donating? And I don't mean to the church. I mean just in general to help people and alleviate suffering. That's what determines if something's godly or not. All right, so I am a saver. Anyone else a saver? Like you don't like to spend money? Some people call us frugal. Other people call us tight. Two people. Who would have thought it amongst, amongst, amongst a bunch of college students that no one likes to save any money ever? Um, here, I'm going to tell them myself, all right? I'm the kind of guy, like, I sneak pop into movie theaters. Anyone else? Like, you sneak bottles? Yeah, I knew I wasn't alone on that one. I'll thin the herd out. Um, I, I eat a can of beans for dinner almost every night because they're like a dollar a can. Anyone else eat cheap like that? All right, I got one. We're going to keep thinning it out. Uh, here, le- here lately, and there'll be a couple more for this. Here lately, I've been riding a bike a little bit in Portsmouth to try to save gas. Anyone else? I know I got Chris over here. Maybe it's not to save gas, but Chris rides a bike. Um, and this is the worst one that I do to try to save money. I did this Friday night. I eat food off of other people's tables at B-dubs after they leave. I promise. I promise I do. That's no joke. There's a lot of people that can vouch for me. I don't care, right? I'm cheap. I like to save money. Whatever. I thought you guys would laugh and you're all grossed out wondering what kind of person I am. Whatever. I don't care. And and saving is good. I'm not trying to say, man, I'm cheap. Um, But me and Autumn are going to have some nice stuff someday, hopefully, if I keep this cheap stuff up. Who knows? Um, Saving is good, right? I'm not trying to, I'm not condemning saving money. Uh, The Bible tells us to be a good steward of the resources that God gives us, right? That's awesome. We should save money and, and, and be wise with our spending choices, right? We should pay our debts. It's good to plan. Planning's not wrong in and of itself. Um, but because I'm such a saver, it became my end all, be all of everything, right? I, for a long time, I didn't tithe. And I'm not a televangelist, but the church could use some money if any of you aren't tithing. Just throwing that out there to you guys, whatever. Uh, but for a long time, I didn't tithe. I didn't donate money to anyone, like Sean and Jen Diatley that are um, our missionaries in Africa. I would have never donated money to any missions. Um, I was reluctant even to loan money to some of my best friends if I thought they couldn't pay me back within a day or two. Like, I didn't care how hard up anyone was. I was super reluctant to do anything like that. And what's funny is I had more and I have more than I need, but I lived as if I couldn't afford to help anyone. I would make excuses to keep my cash because I was selfish, right? Like, I would see a dude on the side of the road, and I was like, man, I should probably buy that guy some groceries, but, like, ah, he's probably a drug addict anyway. Uh, I don't want to enable that person. Uh, who knows? I might need to use that 20 25 bucks later this week. You know, I might need to use that money to fill up my car whenever I already had a half a tank and I actually had 60 bucks, not just 25 bucks on me. Right? I, would make, I would do selfish things like that, to make excuses to keep my money, and that's what James is condemning. Right? He's condemning this. Whenever we hoard all of the things that we have, all of our money and all of our stuff at the expense of people around us, that's what James is getting at here. That's what the Bible condemns is whenever you're getting more and more and more and you're ignoring people that are hurting around you. All right, so here's what this looks like. It looks like I've got clothes, right? I've got clothes that I'm not using. I've got a whole closet full of crap that I have not wore in like a year 
but I'm not giving it away. I, I don't know why. People do this a lot. Clothes everywhere. Not donating them. You know, I, I paid 35 bucks for this shirt, which I don't know why you would pay $35 for a shirt. Go to Walmart, right? Anyone else? Um, why you would pay 35 bucks for a shirt, but people, you know, I paid too much just to give it away. And it's just sitting there. It's not doing anything. You know, or this, I've got, I've got money in the bank. My bills are paid and I have a little bit of pocket money, but I'm not helping that dude out on the side of the road. I'm not going to buy him dinner. That's what this looks like. This is the kind of stuff that we do. And this, if you don't have money, it's not just about money. I've got time to volunteer. I've got time to get to know my neighbors. I've got time to talk to that kid in class that doesn't seem like he really knows anybody or has very many friends or is from out of town or whatever. But there's other things that I would rather do. Right? Like I'd rather go home or I'd rather go hang out with my girlfriend or I'd rather go play Xbox or whatever it is that people do. I don't know. Um, but it's something that I would rather do than minister to people and volunteer. It's not just about money and, and possessions, but it's about your time, too. We're selfish with this stuff. You know, people hurt, and we can help them, but we look the other way because we like our stuff. What's wrong with us? This is myself included. I'm just as guilty sometimes. And here's what really hit me the hardest out of this whole thing, this whole big throwdown that James threw on us here, is James is saying the evidence of disuse is what stands against us. Right? James says, you know, your clothes are moth-eaten, and your gold has rusted. It's gone unused. Whenever you're wearing clothes, it doesn't become moth-eaten. You may wear a hole in it, but moths don't get to it. This is stuff being stockpiled somewhere. I know it's a metaphor because gold can't rust for you science nerds out there. Gold can't rust. But your gold, right, if you're, if you're handling metals regularly, they won't rust very quickly. But he's saying, your gold you have set back and stored and hoarded, and it's worthless because it's just sitting there turning to rust. The evidence of disuse is what condemns us in the eyes of God. But why, right? I had to ask myself that question, why? And so I, I, I came to, the conclusion I came to is because unused possession, unused wealth does the kingdom of God no good. It does the kingdom of God absolutely no good whenever we have things that we don't need, that God has given to us in excess, that we don't turn around and help other people with. You know, everything, that, everything we have, everything we own is a gift. And whenever we have an excess, God expects us, right, if we're Christians and we're trying to mimic our Father and we're trying to mimic Jesus, right, God is a good gift giver. So whenever he gives us an abundance... He expects us to turn around and mimic his good gift giving to other people that need help. That's what God expects out of us. You know, John Calvin, I thought this was awesome. He's one of my favorite theologians. If you don't know him, look him up. John Calvin said this. He says, God has not appointed gold for rust nor garments for malls, but on the contrary, he has designed them as aids and helps to human life. That's why God gives us things. Right, but often we have this like we have this fundamentally flawed understanding of all the stuff that we have, right? We think it's my stuff. It's not your stuff. It's Jesus' stuff. Everything we have belongs to Jesus. The Bible says that everything that has been created was created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. And everything we have is a gift from him. It's not our stuff. 
He's given it to us to do His will. So disuse is evidence of a heart set on ourselves and our own kingdom instead of Jesus and furthering His and doing what he's, His whole intention of what He gave us this for. Whenever we have more than we need and we don't help people, this is what James is condemning. This has just resonated through me this week. You know, and, we, and we might recognize, you know, like, like I have, we might recognize our love of stuff or the fact that we're greedy or the fact that we are basically apathetic against the hurting. Right? That we don't care about people that are hurting around us. But you know, rarely we take it to its logical conclusion. Right? But James does. And what I mean by that, right, uh, I like philosophy and stuff. If someone tells me they believe something, I like to put them in any given situation and see if they still believe it, right? Just give them scenarios. Let's, let's take this as far as it'll go, right? Like, you don't think there's any such thing as right or wrong? Like, well, what about rape, right? So you, like, give them, let's take it to its logical conclusion as far as it'll go. And James does that here, right? He's saying, you ignore the people around you and you keep accumulating wealth. So what does this mean? Like, what's the what's as far as it'll go on this? And James calls the ungodly rich who ignore people um, and uh, ignore people so that they can continue to get more and don't help anyone so that they can get more. He calls them murderers. He takes it as far as it'll go. You know, you ever heard the, uh, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem? And there's like this Jewish thought, like this ancient Jewish thought, and I thought this was awesome, that uh, if you see someone dying or hurting and you have the means to help them and you do not help them, you have killed them. That's what James is mimicking here. Right? So in our not caring and in our, in our living only to get more and more and make ourselves more comfortable, we have killed innocent men. Right? And while we are here tonight, not two miles from here where me and a couple of other guys live, there are people without adequate food, shelter, or clothing, with no medical, no nothing, and yet we live every day, myself included, satisfying most every one of our desires. We have iPhones. I use an iPad. I have a car. I have a sound system in my car. Right? I buy books. I buy movies. I have a television. We see something we want on Amazon and we order it. To make ourselves more comfortable while there are people that have literally nothing that are squatting in houses and sleeping in Tracy Park. Surely that's not okay. You know, by satisfying every whim that we have, we're just nailing another, we're putting another nail in the coffin of God's judgment on us. Right? Because in order to get more and stay more comfortable, we must ignore the poor. Right? Because it's going to cost us something to help people. It's going to cost us money. It's going to cost us time. Right? Now, I don't know if I told you guys this. Uh, I am a huge metal head. Right? Like, I love metal music. I played in a, in a hardcore band for like four and a half years. Uh, me and Steven, he plays guitar here. And there's this band I love called Stray from the Path. And I'm not necessarily recommending you guys listen to that. Uh, I like it, whatever. Um, but they have this line in a song called Black Friday. And, th- and this whole song is about just throwing down on people and how they live. And it says, it goes one for the money, two for the money. Forget about the third world. They ain't hungry. Foreclosed homes, five missed payments on six loans, the dumbest people with the smartest phones. And that is an accurate depiction of how we live. Take out more loans, get more comfortable, don't be able to pay anything back, keep trying to get more and more and more, and forget the people that are hurting. They must not have it that bad. Screw them if it's going to keep me from being comfortable. That's how we live. 
With our actions, we tell the suffering to keep hurting. And the terrifying part of this whole thing is what James says. This is the one thing that James gives the poor and the people that are being hurt and the people that are being ignored. He gives them some comfort in this passage. He says, the Lord of heaven's armies hears those people crying out. In the Old Testament, God says, you know, if the poor cry out to me and you do nothing to help them and I hear them, I'm throwing down on you. You don't want to be on the wrong side of the God who speaks things into existence and has the power over life, death, and hell. And yet we're guilty because we ignore these people so that we can be comfortable. That's terrifying. That should shake us to our core. So why have I told you all of this? Why have we been talking about this? Again, I just want to drive home. When we ignore people, we condemn ourselves further. When we see people that need help and we just keep getting more and keep worrying about our own stuff, we're ignoring God's commands. We are usurping God's role as the command giver. Right? He's commanded us to take care of the least of these, to love your neighbor, to take care of the orphan and the widow. But we said, no, I think I'm going to take care of myself. I think I'm going to keep getting more. And we're t- trying to take his role as the authority over our lives. And go with me on this. Jesus is king. He makes the rules. So to ignore his constant command to take care of the least of these in our society, we're really saying, I'm king. I make the rules. I don't have to listen to you. We try to take his crown off of his head and crown ourselves, and that, my friends, is rebellion against the king. Rebellion is sin. And sin deserves hell. That's just how it is. We have rebelled against this holy king by ignoring his commands to help people, and now we deserve damnation. That's just how it is, because that is justice. The most holy, pure, loving, selfless being in the universe has commanded us to do something. The God who created heaven and earth, the God who told the waves where to stop, created mountains, created everything we see, has told us to do something, and we have had the audacity to tell him no. That's fine. We've had the audacity to tell this God no. Right? Sorry, that was kind of funny. Consider that for a minute. That makes no sense. This God that has made everything and is more powerful than we could ever imagine, we are ants and we have the nerve to tell him, I will not listen to you. I will do what I want. That is rebellion of the worst kind. And we deserve hell because of that. Straight up. That's justice, and God is justice. He's the very embodiment of justice. But God's also the embodiment of mercy, and this is where if you've not listened to anything I've had to say, whatever, pay attention now, right? I'm not your Sunday school teacher. I'm not your parents. This is life and death right now. Listen to what I have to say. You deserve hell because justice demands it, but God is a God of mercy, He cannot let sin go unpunished, but he wants to forgive. So he sends Jesus Christ to live a sinless life. Jesus comes to earth, he lives a sinless life, 
a life that we can't live. He always helps the poor. He never rebels against his father. He always does God's will. And then after living a sinless life, he does not deserve hell because he has never rebelled. He doesn't even deserve physical death. But Jesus, because he loves us, takes our sin, our glad rebellion on himself, and he goes to the cross. And on the cross, he says, God, your justice demands that sin be paid for. And I'm here to pay it for them because I love them. And God accepts and Jesus goes to the cross and God pours out hell on Jesus. Literally the punishment that we deserve, separation from God. For the first time in all of history, the son is ripped from the father and the spirit for you and me. As a substitute in our place. And Jesus dies. That's not where it ends, though, thank God. Three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that Jesus is God, that Jesus was sinless, and most importantly, that Jesus' sacrificial, substitutional death had paid for our sin. Everything we have ever done or ever will do in the future has been paid for by Jesus. If you put your faith in him. So there's a response to this. You can accept this message, this good news. That's why it's called the good news, that you deserve hell, but Jesus took it in your place. You can put your faith in this, right? You can trust that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. You can do that, and you can begin a life living living for Jesus, living like Jesus as best you can. And then whenever you die, Jesus will stand in between you and God and remind God that he took your penalty on the cross, and God is justice and will not make you pay for something that Jesus has already paid for. Or you can reject this whole message, say, you know, I think I'm a good enough person. I don't really think I need this, this whole Christianity thing. You know, whatever the case may be, maybe you think it's all a lie, but I'm telling you this, whenever you die, you will stand before God and there will be no one in between you and God. You will pay for what you've done. There are, there are two options. Either you pay for what you've done or Jesus will. If you put your faith in Jesus, he's already paid for it, or you will. There is no third option. Sin will be paid for. So if you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, or you want someone to pray with you, or whatever, you need this explained to you more, come see me after the service is over. After worship, I'll be hanging out around the stage. You can go see Allie and AJ over here by the couches. Uh, We would love to pray with you. We would love to talk with you. But make no mistake, there is a response, and no response is one of rejection. But Christians, right, those of us who have already placed our faith in Jesus, I'm talking to you now, right, those of us who are, are being loyal to Jesus, don't ever forget this. Jesus was rich in heaven, but because we were spiritually poor, he became poor so that he might rescue us. Don't ever forget that. Jesus was a poor Jewish man. Jesus says no slave is greater than his master. So if you think for, for one second that maybe God, like maybe you shouldn't be digging into your pockets to try to help somebody, right? Because that makes your financial future a little unstable. You're not better than Jesus. Jesus was poor. We are not better than our king. And likewise, because we were spiritually poor and he rescued us in spite of that, we should live our lives trying to mimic Jesus. That's the whole point. Jesus does X, and we see that, and out of gratitude, we try to imitate X. That is the whole Christian walk. That's why we do the things we do, is out of gratitude, and because he did it first. 
Right? So how do you mimic this? Some of you guys might not know. Get involved. If you don't know how to get involved, I'll, I'll tell you. Come see me after the service. Right? We do East End Ministries on Tuesdays and Fridays. Right? We can hook you up there. Right? I can tell you some good organizations to sponsor kids. One that me and a couple other people in this church use to sponsor children in other countries that don't have anything. Right? You can tithe here. If this isn't your home church, tithe to your home church. Right? Give your money to people that are going to take it and allocate it to where it needs to be. Sponsor a missionary. Right? Stop for people that you see that are begging on the road that need help. Stop and talk to them at least. Get to know your neighbors. See if there's any way you can serve the people that live right next to you. The people you live with in your apartments if you're at Shawnee or whatever. You know, open your eyes. Look for opportunities. They're there. We just ignore them. You know, consider this, right? Imagine a world where there are 2.2 people in this world, 2.2 billion people in this world that claim to be Christians. Imagine a world where 2.2 billion people lived like it and took care of people and loved the poor and helped people the way that Jesus commands us to. Imagine that world. Imagine the movement that would start. I want to be a part of that movement. Do you not? And it starts here. It starts with us. It starts with small amounts of people going out with huge goals to try to make a difference in their area in the name of Jesus for his glory. It starts here with us. So let's do this. Let's get out there. Let's get involved. And keep this in mind. Everything that we have here is fading away. It won't save us. We can't take it with us, right? That old cliche. Everything is going to rust and fade and be nothing someday. But Jesus says that the things that we do in his name for his glory stand eternal. That's what matters. When we help people in Jesus' name, he remembers for eternity. What we do here and now matters. It matters to Jesus. We know that that should affect how we live today. Our view of eternity affects how we live right now. So if Jesus is your king, out of gratitude for the fact that he has blessed you with more than you need and he has taken your penalty for sin in your place and he has given you the families that you have and given you the the resources that he has, out of gratitude for everything that he is and everything that he has done, go out and do what pleases your king. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for for what you've done on the cross for us. God, we can never thank you enough. God, you give us more than we need. You didn't even have to give us Jesus, Father, but but you gave us Christ to to take our sin as a substitute. And, And beyond that, we can't ever ask. We couldn't even ask for that. We were too sinful. But you give us grace upon grace by giving us monetary things and and possessions. and, And we deserve hell. God, help us to not get so caught up in in the here and now and the things that we want and the things that we think we need, that that we ignore poor people in the process, that we ignore people that are hurting in the process. God, help us to not hoard our wealth, but to be open-handed and free-handed with it, to show people the love that you've showed us. God, I pray that this message just burns like fire in us and that we can start a movement of helping people. God, there's much work to be done. I pray you help us to accomplish your will.
But above everything, thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place. In Jesus' name, amen.